Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Hello, and welcome to Coffee with Closers. A podcast featuring a team of public relations professionals at Pinkston in Washington, D.C. From media personalities to pioneers in healthcare and disruptors in business, we talk with some of America's most interesting people who tell interesting stories. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. This is Coffee with Closers. On today's episode, we talk with a man who's leading an organization doing incredible and important work caring for the homeless and families living in poverty in our nation's capital. Joe Manamano serves as the president and CEO of Central Union Mission, a faith-based nonprofit and the oldest private social service agency in Washington, D.C. For more than 135 years, Central Union Mission has been serving those in need. Today, the organization provides food, shelter, clothing, job training, education, addiction support, social work, health care, and an array of other programs and services to help people get back on their feet. Prior to joining Central Union Mission, Mr. Menomano worked for a number of other impactful organizations, including Global Impact, World Vision, Prison Fellowship Ministries, UNICEF USA, and Pew Charitable Trusts. An ordained pastor, Mr. Menomano brings a Christ-centered approach to caring for the homeless community, a cause which he has committed himself to for more than two decades. Joe Menomano is a closer. Joe, how are you? Welcome to Coffee with Closers. How are you doing today? Doing great. Living the dream. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, let's jump in. So you are the head of Central Union Mission in Washington, D.C., which is the, uh, I understand it to be the oldest uh, private social services agency in Washington. Um, I think you are celebrating 138 years uh, this year. Um, You guys have been doing amazing work, uh, basically helping take care of the underserved in our nation's capital. Talk a little bit about um, how the mission, how Central Union Mission started, and what are some of the programs and services that you provide uh, on a daily basis to to the community. Sure. Yeah, it's actually an interesting story. About 138 years ago, a young pastor by the name of Latham Douglas was here in our nation's capital starting a church. And as he got to know the city walking around, he was finding homeless people, homeless men. And as he was meeting these guys, uh, he realized that they were really struggling to survive on the streets. Well, he realized that they were veterans. And if you do if you do the math, 138 years, these were veterans of the Civil War. So yeah. these are guys that lost everything, families, fortunes, homes, arms, legs. And here they are struggling to survive on the streets of D.C. Well, good old Latham said, no, this isn't going to do. He got together with uh, a couple of other churches and started Central Union Mission. That really was our humble beginnings. Uh, the work has grown significantly over 138 years, and we've been through it all. We've been through several world wars, the Great Depression. The Spanish flu of 1918, which is very similar to what we're going through right now with COVID, uh, but the the organization has grown. You know, we continue to serve veterans, but that's one population that we serve. We have a, a homeless shelter that can accommodate up to 170 men each night. It's a full service facility, so you're not just getting the beds, the meals, and the showers. A person here, we have a full medical clinic, dental clinic, psychiatric services, job training, and so forth. We have a food 
pantry on the other end of town on Bladensburg Road that serves somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 people a month, which is pretty mm -hmm. significant. A transition yeah. home and a little jewel that we have is called Camp Bennett. This is a summer camp for kids from low-income families. They come out for a week at a time in the summer, sleep in cabins. We have obstacle courses, zip lines, horses, all kinds of great stuff for these kids to experience. Wow, that's great. That's excellent. There are so many organizations in Washington and around the country that are doing really great work, similar yeah. to the work that you're doing. And, yeah. and, and, it's, and it's all desperately needed, especially during this time. Um, what would you say makes Central Union Mission uh, kind of unique in its, in its approach and the way, the way you approach care and, and delivery of food and other services? Um, that, that what's unique about your approach that maybe another organization isn't and, and not asking this in a competitive way? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I have some great peers out there that are doing fantastic work here in Washington, D.C. and really across the country. But there's a few things that really stand out as far as our distinctives. Um, at a small level, I, you know, we were the only, I believe that we're one of the few or the only 100% privately funded homeless shelter in Washington, D.C. So we're supported exclusively by individuals, corporations, foundations, no government money. Uh, we also are distinctly Christian in who we are and what we do. We were founded as a Christian organization. We've never lost our faith. We like to say that we won't hide our Jesus here at the mission. So that continues wow. to be a part of who we are. Programmatically, what's really different is that the way I like to express it is we are not just trying to put a Band-Aid on homelessness and urban poverty. We're actually trying to solve it. So while our shelter, for example, does all of the things you would expect a homeless shelter to do, we provide the beds, the showers, and the meals, we actually are trying to come side by side with some of these guys who really want to get off of the street and figure out, okay, what does this man need to be able to leave here in a year and a half and be able to live independently? So we are addressing things like addictions, uh, psychological health, job training, education. Um, there's a variety of things that we do. We call them wraparound services that are intended to help get that man off of the street permanently so that he doesn't end up back on the street. So that's one okay. thing. The other thing is that, you know, we don't just serve homeless men. We serve men, women, children, families across the city. Our, our food pantry in a lot of ways is standing in the gap between families and homelessness because all of them are really living hand to mouth. And when we're able to provide them with things like food and clothing, that makes them more able to pay their rent and keeps them off of the street. Gotcha. And just to, just for clarification, you have about 170, 200 beds available every night. That is just for men, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Our primary okay. touch point with women and families is our family ministry center, where we're providing a lot of the same kind of services. Um, but when we survey the landscape in Washington, D.C., there's already a lot of facilities for women who need overnight accommodations. Got it. Great. Thanks. Cool. That's great. D.C. has one of the right. largest homeless populations in the country. Um, it's almost two times the national average with almost 17% of its residents living in poverty, um, which is astonishing given that our region is the center of political power and um, the capital of the United States. Yeah. Why is the problem particularly acute here? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really great question. So we do, we have one of the highest rates 
of homelessness in the country. At any given day, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 people in the streets. Um, and then you have people, of course, living in poverty. And the thing that's so vexing for us, it's exactly what you said. This is the nation's capital. It also happens to be one of the wealthiest metropolitan areas in the entire country. Um, when you look at those countries that have the highest median income, those counties that have the highest median income, they're all right here in the DC DMV. You look at Fairfax County, Loudoun County, Arlington, for example. So there's a lot of wealth here and it really doesn't add up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of theories as to why this is the case. I think part of it has to do with the DC area is very transient. So you always have a lot of people moving in and moving out. And, and I think a lot of people view homelessness in a city as a homegrown problem. And sometimes you have people who may not feel like this is really their hometown, so they don't invest in it. I don't know that for sure, but it's just a theory that I have. Uh, the other thing is that I, I think sometimes people don't think that there's much of a homelessness problem here because a lot of areas of DC um, are very sanitized. You know, the wealthy suburbs, you may not see it, but there is a significant problem here. And actually that's a big part of what we try to do is raise the visibility of homelessness so that people know there's a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well. According to a new HUD report, D.C. saw one of the nation's largest decreases in family homeless, homelessness with a decline of almost 50 percent between 2020 and 2021. But D.C. did see a 32 percent increase with unaccompanied youth experiencing homelessness, 77 youth under the age of 25. Um, what are your thoughts on these disparities? Where where are you seeing the most need right now? Sure, sure. Yeah, so the data that you're referencing is an annual point-in-time count. We call it the pit count. Most major metropolitan areas across the country once a year will do a pit count where they go out one night a year with a group of volunteers and try to do as thorough of a count of homeless people as possible. Um, I always like to tell people that you need to be careful with that data. It's an estimate. It really is an estimate. It's not counting everybody. The data that you just cited is from the last pit count, which was done during COVID. And to be honest with you, I don't believe the data is accurate at all. Oh, wow. um, I can tell you that there has not been a 50% decrease in homeless population in those demographics that you've talked about. And most people who even work within the system don't necessarily think that is an accurate number either. The, the, the count was done a little bit differently because of COVID. There were a lot of circumstances that led to a count that probably is not as accurate as it normally would be. Um, what I would say is that there has been a trend of a decrease in homelessness among women and families in the District of Columbia. That has bared out over the past few years. And the reason for that is that that is where the government of the District of Columbia has really focused a lot of attention. Both financial resources and a lot of the new shelters that they're building are meant to specifically strategically address family and female homelessness. And to their credit, that number has been coming down. And I got to give credit to the mayor because I think they're doing a good job in that regard. However, even if you look at the data from last year or previous years, what's also true is that there continues to be an increase in homeless single men. And honestly, they're the ones that you see the most and really represent the largest part of that demographic, homeless single men. That number continues to go up, which makes what we do all the more important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in different reports, 
there are distinctions between chronically homeless and unsheltered individuals. Can you talk briefly about um, how homelessness is defined and about these distinctions? Sure. So uh, there is um, a bit of a legal definition on that that was created really because uh, different organizations do different things and the way that the budget is allocated and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase it quite a bit because I don't have it memorized, but chronically homeless people are people who have been on the streets for at least a year recurring. They are not spending several nights couch surfing at a friend's place and then back out on the street. Um, the other group that you talked about typically are people that have some type of affliction that puts them on the street, mental illness or something like that, where they are sporadically on the street. So there's really two, and we see that even here at our shelter, there really are two somewhat distinctive groups. Um, and both of them, in my opinion, really require the same approach and the same kinds of resources. Uh, somebody's on the street for a reason. Usually when somebody's on the street, there's something that put them there, whether it was uh, drugs and alcohol, mental health issues, you know, a lifetime of, of dysfunctional thought patterns or just bad behavior, a lifetime of bad decisions. Um, there's a lot of things that can put a person on the street. But what people need is more than just putting them into a room. In other words, giving them shelter is not the silver bullet to solve their problem. It needs those wraparound services I was talking about earlier to help them stay off of the street permanently. And that's whether you are chronically homeless or you're in this other group that is just not always housed. Interesting. Uh, Joe, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you, you offer so many services to, to those who need help. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people who don't seek those services and don't yeah. seek that kind of help. And you see, you know, a lot of, um, you know, you see a lot of, um, yeah, I, I walk, I go to union station quite a bit and you'll see quite a few tents outside and under the overpasses and, and yeah. the highways and, you know, near the Capitol. And I, I've seen that growing, you know, over the, over the years and it's more prevalent. Why would somebody who might, might not come to you? Is there, is there a, is there a fear or a stigma or is it, is it, is it maybe something else? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a bit complex and it's not just yeah. us. The, these same people, they won't not just come here to Central Union. They won't go to any shelter. And, yeah. um, you know, I've been engaging with these folks in some way, shape or form for over 20 years. So I've kind of get to know their M.O. a little bit. Um, I, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, if somebody has been on the street for a long period of time, they become acculturated to that lifestyle. They yeah. live by their own rules on their own timeline. They don't like to be crowded and have a lot of people around them. Uh, it's a very independent lifestyle where nobody's telling you what to do, what time to wake up, what time to go to bed. Well, shelters have rules. And uh, when uh, so, so a person oftentimes, and I know several of them, and I've known them for a decade or more, they don't they would prefer to stay outside in the freezing cold weather rather than come into the shelter and have to obey somebody else's rules. It's really just a lifestyle thing. Um, some people are loners, uh, shelters, you know, there's lots of other people sleeping in the dorm with you. And uh, some people who are loners just aren't down with that. Last but not least, I would say in the past two years, there have been some fears about COVID. Um, and folks having fear about getting COVID from a shelter. And I would say I, I get that. I can only speak to my own situation. Central Union Mission, were we were very 
strategic and worked really hard here to try to provide a safe place for homeless men to be during the pandemic. Um, we were one of the first to use uh, those no-touch thermometers. I mean, it sounds so mundane now, but we were the only right. shelter in the city checking body temperatures on a daily basis. Wow. And we still do that to this day. We test once a week. We have all kinds of technology built into the building. When you walk through the front door, you go through this thing we call the bug zapper. It uses uh, uh, ultraviolet uh, light to kill any viruses on your skin or on your clothing stuff in the there's a uh, sanitizers in the ductwork and because of that we went for two years we went the bulk of the pandemic without one single case of covid wow not, not one case in the shelter for two years it broke down a little bit when omicron hit which as you know omicron was very pervasive around the world it didn't matter how vaccinated you were it didn't matter what precautions you took a lot of people still got it. So we had, you know, maybe a dozen cases here. They were very mild, but honestly, that was short lived. We haven't had a test, a positive test here in about four weeks. Wow. wow. You answered my next question, but uh, just a tangent to that. Um, how has the vaccination effort been um, among the community that you serve? Yeah, so we were really trying to be champions of um, vaccinations, and uh, we went through um, a lot of effort to try to educate people about it because there was a lot of misinformation. Mm -hmm. uh, we brought in doc medical doctors to explain to folks what it's about. Uh, one of the things that I learned personally was some of the fears within the African American community, in particular. Um, you know, I learned that uh, back in I think it was the 1950s. They call them the Tuskegee experiments. The medical establishment apparently did some experimenting on African-Americans. I mean, how horrible is that? Mm -hmm. And so some of those fears and legacies continue to this day. Uh, I would say the vast majority of people here got vaccinated. On my staff, all but maybe two or three people got vaccinated. And amongst the guys who are regulars at the shelter, only a handful did not get vaccinated. Um, so yeah, for the most part, people did get vaccinated. Wow, that's great. Cool. That's great. All right, Hannah. Um, you worked really hard to get ahead of this, and clearly you guys had a great success rate with managing COVID. Um, what were some of those, other than what you talked about, what were some of those other measures that you um, put into place to mitigate COVID um, and the special donation that you received from the Washington Capitol Center, Lars Eller, yeah. 2020. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Good old Lars, my new best friend. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we started off doing all the same things we all were being asked to do, right? Washing hands, wearing a mask that that grew into daily temperature checks, um, sanitizing surfaces every day with microban, um, even the way that we had guys, you know, in a, in a shelter, it's very hard to do social distancing. It just yeah. is. And yeah. so we did the best we could by trying to create some separation in the dining hall, even the way that we had the guys sleep in the dormitories. We had them sleeping head to toe, head to foot instead of head to head, you know, in the bunks. Um, the technology that I talked about. So uh, Lars Eller, he's the person who contributed that. It's called a cleanse portal. It's new technology. It uses something called far UVC light. And it really, it looks like a metal detector when you walk through it, but you have to stand in it for about 
15 to 20 seconds, and that sanitizes your skin and clothing to uh, kill any bacteria or uh, viruses. So we did that as well. The um, There's uh, machinery in the ductwork that sanitizes the air as it flows through and recycles throughout the system as well. So all of those things were important. The one thing that I would say that was, I think, really critical, just like most people were being asked to stay at home throughout the pandemic, well, for people here at the shelter, this is their home. And so we actually had to implement a stay at home uh, procedure here at the shelter, where if you were here on the night where we started that you were guaranteed a bed and we were going to keep people safe. And so um, most people toughed it out for a long time, but we did that from, I think that first year of the pandemic, we did that from about late March through December. Okay. Uh, and people weren't really allowed to leave the campus. We do have a little outside area where people could go, but we had to do a lot of things to try to prevent cabin fever. So, uh, we went out, we bought ping pong tables and foos tables. We had movies every single day, games. We, we built cornhole competition and, um, but we were really lucky because we do own a camp property out in Brookville, Maryland. It's out in the country. So we were able to bring the guys out there every other weekend just to get out of the shelter, just to get out of the city. And for the most part, most people toughed it out and stayed with us until we kind of went back to normal operations at the end of December of that year. Um, but that was really instrumental in keeping people safe. Wow. That's excellent. So Joe, you know, the, the, the community that you serve, they deal with a lot of challenges, uh, whether it's food insecurity, mental challenges. And we heard just recently about a horrific report about mm -hmm. a, a man who was arrested for uh, attacks on, mm -hmm. on, on homeless in, in yeah. New York and Washington and a, a couple of individuals uh, tragically lost their life. And I think you mentioned in one of the news reports that of, of all the things that, that this community has to deal with, this is like, this should not even be, even be in the, on the radar screen. Right. Talk um, to that question. Um, as you look out across the horizon and around the bend, what are some of the greatest challenges that you see coming down the pike that maybe um, you need to be ready for uh, things that you're seeing trend wise, obviously violence against homeless uh, individuals is, is, is something of, of concern. Um, talk a little bit about sort of where we are today. Yeah, I mean, the, the violence against homeless folks, um, sadly, that's not a new thing. Even yeah, here in yeah. the nation's capital, it's not a new thing. It's just these particular cases got national attention because it was a very strange situation where it was the same guy or supposedly the same guy in New York and Washington, which which made it really unusual. I mean, yeah, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking, right? Yeah. As if the homeless didn't already have enough to struggle with freezing cold temperatures, being homeless, being hungry. You may have addiction, mental health issues. You're worried about COVID. And now you got to watch your back, hoping that nobody shoots you while you sleep. So that was very distressing for us. I'm, I, I know that they arrested somebody today who they think is the subject, and I, and I hope they did catch them and take that threat off of the street. So, But that kind of thing is going to continue to be an issue, um, whether it's somebody who clearly is deranged and has some vice or vendetta against the homeless, or something that's a little more um, sedate where homeless people are just simply ignored. Yeah. That's that's just as destructive is as as anything else because 
when you ignore homeless folks, one that dehumanizes them, right? Um, but also it means that here in the nation's capital, for example, if we're not dialing up the agenda to reduce homelessness here, it's not going to get the resources and support that it needs. So that's always going to be um, something that we're working hard on. You never know what, when the next pandemic, I mean, we all learned something from COVID, right? So you never know what the next thing around the corner is, but yeah. uh, for us, um, Addictions, we certainly see an increase in the amount of addictions. And the thing that's disturbing about the addiction piece is that when you're poor and living on the street or living low income, oftentimes you won't have the money to pay for the expensive drugs, but there, are, there is a cheap drug market out there. Um, mm -hmm. This stuff called K2, um, they, it's referred to as synthetic marijuana, but it's not marijuana at all. It is a very dangerous substance that is smoked, um, has killed thousands and thousands of people around the country. And it's really a predatory drug on the poor and, and actually students as well, high school students. Um, it's very dangerous, full of chemicals that has just been killing people for the past few years. So that's something that is a trend that we're very concerned about. Mental health, we certainly have seen an increase in the um, increase in people struggling with mental and emotional health issues. And COVID didn't help with that either. I think mm -hmm. COVID in a lot of ways just put people over the edge um, just because of how much it changed our culture and how much we relate to one another. And then last but not least, uh, similar on the COVID point, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs because of the pandemic, a lot of people. And most of the people who lost their jobs are on that lower end of the economic spectrum. And if just 10% of those people who lost their jobs uh, end up getting evicted, there's going to be an explosion in homelessness here in the nation's capital. So our concern, and actually I can tell you a little bit more about what we're doing to address it, is how is the District of Columbia and this in the surrounding suburbs, how are we creating opportunities for the post-pandemic workforce? Because a lot of the jobs that were lost aren't coming back. Think about it. Restaurants that closed where people worked, not coming back. Food trucks, not coming back. Companies that went out of business that needed, let's just say janitorial service, not coming back. So yeah. we're concerned about the long-term impact that's going to have on people becoming homeless because they can't get jobs. Can I go into what we're doing to address that? Is that okay? I've Absolutely. Please. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've already made the pivot from COVID response to COVID recovery. COVID response was the masks, the vaccinations, all of that. We've already made the tilt to, okay, what are we going to do to help people, homeless people, low-income folks in particular in the DMV area? How are we going to help them to recover? So one of the things we've done successfully over the past several years here at the shelter is job training, job placement, education, and so forth. We are replicating that at our food pantry. So our food pantry, it's currently called the Family Ministry Center. Again, serves somewhere in the neighborhood of five thousand people a month, but historically it's primarily been food or clothing. But what we have found over the years is that when you're providing those basics of food and clothing, you can speak into people's lives in other ways. So we are blowing that out into a huge um, multi-point, multi-service facility, co-located services. So when somebody comes to that facility now, yeah, they can get the food and the clothing, but there's also going to be education available to them, whether it's job training, get their GED, 
um, getting job placement. Uh, we're expanding our, our medical care and social work to that facility as well. Real practical things like uh, daycare for kids. If you have both parents that need to work, you know how expensive daycare is. Sometimes it's more expensive to put a kid in daycare than the money that these folks receive while they're working. So helping people with daycare networks and daycare placement as well. So we are expanding all of those services, replicating them there in a big way so that people can get trained and have job skills for the new economy here in the post-pandemic Washington, D.C. area. Uh, we are just in the process of launching this. Um, we're looking at it as a five-year, $10 million project. We're already raising wow. money for it, but lots of interest across the entire city. We've already received some startup money for this from Amazon, uh, Coca-Cola Consolidated, uh, wow. Truist Bank, PNC, see um, and a variety of others as well. So this is really big for the District of Columbia. All of these wraparound services are so desperately needed right now and are really going to help people recover from the impact that that COVID uh, caused on their lives. Yeah. And the interesting, the irony about all this is we're living in the age of the great resignation where more Americans have quit, their, <laughs> have quit their jobs than ever before. I believe we have, what, six six million unemployed for 11 million job openings. And even if we filled every one of those jobs, that's 4.4 million jobs surplus that are, and we've, we've got to solve this problem. And this seems like a, a perfect opportunity to make this happen. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with you. I, I, you know, I'm not a sociologist. I can't explain this great resignation thing. I don't get it, but I did see an article last night on my newsfeed that said that um, based on a recent poll, 76% of people who quit their job as part of the Great Resignation are regretting quitting their job. I did see that. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, that's, well, no, no, duh, right? Not a smart, not a smart yeah. move. No. Uh, can you talk real quick? And I have a couple last questions. Can you talk yeah. real quick? We talked about homelessness. You see yeah. it every day in, in our lives. We see, yeah. you know, but there's also a lot of families who are employed who face food security and other challenges that could be our neighbors, could be yeah. li living in a home that, that you may not notice. You could see them on the bus. They, they have yeah. jobs. Um, talk about a little bit about sort of this community of people who there are a lot of people who need help who may not, you know, people think of homelessness. They think of the guy on, you know, the guy or the gal on the street, yeah. but that's not always the case. Yeah. And a lot of those folks are, they're exactly the clientele that we have at our family ministry center every day. Yeah. Many of them work, but they're just underemployed, right? And yeah. they're just, they're scraping by and they need just a little bit to keep them from kind of going over the edge. Um, but that exists just about in every city. I, you know, the main thing is a lot of people will out of pride or embarrassment <laughs> won't yeah. seek help and resources. And so yep. we, we try to create our programs in a way where there's dignity, whether you're coming to our shelter for, you know, staying here for multiple nights where you're coming to our family ministry center for food, clothing, or other services, letting people do that with dignity so that people aren't feeling bad about their situations, but encouraging them to want to go that extra mile. Uh, so we see that on a, in a fairly regular basis. Um, uh, so we try to encourage people that way. But the other thing is um, for people who may be underemployed, 
what we've learned is oftentimes people need some financial literacy training. Um, mm. Many of us grew up in families where we learned maybe after college, how to manage a personal budget. Um, But a lot of people living in poverty have absolutely no idea how to do that. Um, Even coming up with a reasonable shopping list, these types of home ec 101 skill sets that many of us take for granted. Um, So we have been focusing on those things as well to help people better manage their life, better manage their life, better manage their financial um, uh, matters so that it's putting them in a better overall position. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really great. Um, I want to ask you a personal question. Um, so mm-hmm. you have spent just about your entire professional career. You've worked for a number of impactful nonprofits, global mm-hmm. impact president fellowship, prison fellowship, UNICEF US, USA. Um, I know you're an ordained pastor. So what motivated you to commit your professional life to, to such great, to the Lord's work, really. Um, yeah. I, and I know you have kind of, a, I believe you had mentioned in an interview that, that your, your mother had, had experienced uh, homelessness for, for a bit, and that was impactful for you. Yeah. Uh, just talk a little bit about your personal journey and sure. what, brought you, what brought you to where you're sitting today. Yeah, I mean, I have, you're right. I've been working for um, nonprofit organizations the better part of the past uh, 30, 35 years, mostly international though. I mean, worked for world vision for a long time, uh, worked for UNICEF. Um, but in my personal sort of efforts, uh, ended up working with the homeless, whether it was in Philadelphia or here in Washington, DC, you know, for me, I think the primary driver it is, it's my Christian faith. Um, I believe that Christ set the example for how to love our neighbor. And so um, I take my faith seriously. So I'm going to follow Christ's guidance. And I've done my best both in my career, but also in my personal life um, to try to love my neighbor by serving them, helping them, meeting them where they are. And that's, that's been a big part of it. Um, sometimes I've been more successful than others, but I'm, I'm doing my best. Uh, you mentioned my mom. Yeah, it's actually an interesting story. So uh, I grew up in suburban Philadelphia. And, um, you know, I didn't really know what homelessness was when I was a little kid, but when I was, I think I was around 10 years old, my mom, who was, she's gone now, but had the biggest heart of anybody I've ever known, um, took me into downtown center city, Philadelphia one year. I remember it was to buy school clothes at the, at a, at a, at a store in the city. So we went in the store, did our thing. And as we were coming out of the store, Uh, There was a man um, out in front of the building, a homeless man. He was picking up cigarette butts off of the ground and trying to smoke them. And my mother said, she called me Joey. She said, Joey, hold on for a second. And we walked over to the man and my mother, unfortunately, was a smoker. My mother gave him like five fresh brand new cigarettes rather than him smoking these things that had been stomped on the ground, gave him a couple of bucks and we went on our way. Well, you know, I'm a dumb kid from the suburbs. I had no idea why she did that, but I remember asking her, I'm like, mom, why, why did you, why did you do that? Who was that guy? And she just said, you know, Joey, at some point in life, everybody needs help. Yeah. And I didn't think anything of it, you know, live the rest of my life. Um, so fast forward, 
several decades. My mom died about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the weeks and months leading up to her death, she did what a lot of people do. They start talking more about their life and more about sure. their past. And, and I learned that for a season of my mom's life, she was homeless. Um, she was, she, she was basically orphaned at a pretty young age, um, was in some, you know, had some abuse situations going on. And there was a period of her life as a, I think a young 20 year old, um, she was in Philadelphia and she, you know, each night she would sleep in the backseat of a parked car. So she would go down the street and pull on door handles until she found a car that was unlocked. She would sleep in the backseat overnight. That still happens today, by the way. Um, I think she would get cleaned up at the local Y. MCA. She worked at a drugstore. Um, but she, she disclosed this to me that she was homeless. And I thought about it and I remembered what happened way back when I was 10 and I connected the dots and I'm like, she had empathy and compassion for this man because she knew what it was like to be in his shoes. She just didn't bother to tell me that when I was a little kid. So that, that really, um, solidified some things for me. I, I think my mom, she was always just, uh, I think she impressed upon me about always giving back and always trying to help people who don't have what you have. So, um, but it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Incredible story. Incredible personal story. Cool. Well, thank you, Joe, so very much for taking the time to be with us today. It was an honor and pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you. I'm Anna Nine. And I'm Steve Burke, and we'll see you next time on Coffee with Closers. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. We're the Pinkston team, and this has been Coffee with Closers. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. Catch us next time. We know you're not busy.